What is up, friends? Welcome back to episode 43 of the Hard Hitting Sports Podcast. My name is Jack Bradley. I am one of your co-hosts. On the left of my Zoom screen is my good friend Jordan Lowey. Jordan, how are we doing this evening? We're doing good. Got down to Long Island last night. Going to be here for the whole week, which is going to be great. So if I sound a little different, I'm using a little bit of a different recording setup because I forgot everything at home. Um, but other than that, it's been real fun being down here uh, for the past day and a half. Um, working next week while I'm down here or this upcoming week while I'm down here, which isn't too bad since I do get to work remotely. Very fortunate to do that, but still it's going to be a fun one being down here. The last time I was down here for longer than a week, I think was right before graduation. Wow. So, so it'll be fun. Years. Going on. Yeah, years. almost. Yeah. Well, yeah. I'm, uh, I'm back in, uh, I'm back in Framingham this week. My parents decided to take a trip down to Florida. Uh, they weren't going for spring training. They're going to the, uh, where the Red Sox normally would have spring training and they still are, but, um, they're down there now. So I'm actually back in Framingham watching two dogs. So we're doing different for, I think this is the first ever weekend episode. Um, I know it will get released Monday morning, but first ever Monday drop, I think of the podcast and in, in yeah. podcast history. So big, big day in history here. Mm-hmm. Um, but just with the Bryant, Bryant Bulldogs rolling through the NEC tournament, huge win yesterday. Did you catch any of those? I know you said you're trying to catch some of the highlights, but. Yeah, I was watching some of the stuff at the end. Charlie Pride is just unbelievable. Peter oh, Kiss yeah. is, he, he, he didn't have the best game, but he still played pretty well, all things considered. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, they're a good team. I'm, when the coach came in, I think it was our sophomore year. Senior uh, brand year. New. Senior year? I, they I went. They got the, Coach. They went two and twenty nine or two and thirty or three and thirty something like that our junior yeah. year, and then that old coach got fired. Grosso came in, and they started just kind of turning around there. Yeah, ever since he got to Bryant, he brought a different energy. Like he just looked like a winner and carried himself like a winner, and that has completely been instilled in the team over the past four seasons. And now we're seeing the fruits of that labor. So hopefully on Tuesday they can get a big win and hopefully put themselves into the NCAA tournament. Yeah. Big, um, big matchup Wagner. Uh, they beat Wagner. Uh, they were tied going into the last game of regular season play. They beat Wagner at home, big win. Uh, so they yeah. ended up with the one seed. So uh, thankfully they're, they're going to be the home team, but uh, Alex, I think it's Alex. I know his last name is Morales. I think it's Alex Morales, uh, NEC player of the year over Peter kiss. So, that's going to yeah. be an interesting matchup because I think everyone, including myself, including Coach Grasso, uh, thinks that that Kiss should have been the NEC Player of the Year. But I think I mean, that's he, just extra motivation for him if he needs any. Um, it's I mean, he there. was highest scoring uh, and there goes player. My cow. <laughs> there goes your cow. I mean, highest scoring player in the NEC, and not even just the NEC, but the NCAA, 25.1 points per game in the regular season. So I don't know how. You don't give it to a player who's leading the nation in the most important metric in basketball, which is points. Um, so silly, in my opinion, had a t- close win against Mount St. Mary, like you were just talking about. And then when they played Wagner, I mean, pretty much Florida 78-70. That's a comfortable win um, in basketball, naturally, especially at the college level. Brian had put up 106 the week, uh, 105 a few games before, and then 86. So Wagner had, knew they had to play good defense in order to stop Bryant. They did for the most part, but Bryant was able to pull away at the end. So going to be really exciting Tuesday night, getting a rematch against Wagner. A um, lot of implications in that game, obviously, all the headlines that you're going to see. So that that's going to be really exciting, especially after the Mount St. Mary's game we just got uh, last night. 
Yeah, no, that game was absolutely wild. I think Bryant was down eight at one point midway through the second half. They were down by seven or eight with like five or six minutes left in that press defense, which I was at that Central Connecticut game in their quarterfinal matchup. They started with that press defense to start out the game and got out to a huge lead. They went away from the press defense because you can't press for an entire game and Central Connecticut started to storm its way back. So I think it's going to be interesting um, how the game starts. I know they like that two, three zone defense uh, that coach Grasso likes to run, but um, it's going to be a great game. ESPN two, 7 PM on Tuesday night. Um, Again, part of the reason why we're recording tonight, I think this is the second time in podcast history, Bryant uh, has made us change our night of recording, but I'm okay with it, especially if they can. They can find their way into the big dance and, and who knows, maybe they I'm seeing, they might have to play the first four. They might be a straight 16 seed. Some people think maybe a 15. I don't think anyone from the NEC has been that high granted that they won the conference. And it really depends on if any of these smaller conferences um, have teams that are four or five seeds that had losing records during the year, end up winning, you know, getting hot during tournament time, they might sneak into that first four and, and move Brian up, but they got to win to get yeah. there first. So Cool. Um, well, it's it's tough to plan a podcast when two of the three sports are in the off season, and one of them you don't know when it's going to start. Um, I yeah. feel like we're going to have one episode at some point because whenever the MLB does come back, it's going to probably interfere or get in the way of an NFL free agency as well. So we're just going to have millions of moves, both leagues to analyze with the NBA kind of making its way towards the playoffs. And I think it's going to be like the last, like the bubble and, and like last year's playoffs. I think it's going to be really tight in the NBA. The Eastern conference, as we've been saying is, is very tight. There's been some great basketball played there. The West. I mean, we are seeing some struggles from, from the warriors. Now the Grizzlies have been playing well. Um, the jazz got blown out by new Orleans the other night, but um, NBA wise, anything that's catching your attention uh, you want to talk about, um with the I mean, one sport that we got going on yeah i mean the team that you just mentioned the pelicans i think they're really starting to put things in gear even without zion brandon ingram has played on a completely different level as of late uh Herbert jones has been arguably one of the best defenders in the nba as of late um i think he he anyone he guarded when they played the jazz went oh of 10 um and he on six of those shots were by donovan mitchell so he uh, shut out Donovan Mitchell in that game, made him go 0 for 6. So pretty solid by the Pelicans there. They're the 10 seed right now with the two-game lead over the Trailblazers. I think it depends when Zion comes back, but I think once Zion comes back into the mix, they have a chance to get up to the eighth seed. I know the Clippers are playing really well, and that's a long stretch being seven games back. But you bring in a superstar like Ingram into a team where CJ McCollum's been playing great, Brandon Ingham's been playing great. You got Herbert Jones, who's become one of the best defenders in the NBA as of recently. That team looks all very dangerous. They almost look like the Grizzlies from the year before, where the Grizzlies, you know, beat the Warriors in a shocking game and put up a good game against the Jazz game one um, in the playoffs. So I think the Pelicans would make a similar splash there, um, especially with how, I mean, obviously LeBron last night, different conversation, but the Lakers have really sputtered out pretty much the entire season, but more so now than any other point. So I think if Pelicans can keep this momentum rolling until Zion comes back and then find a way to integrate Zion into the role there and the flow they're in, I think Pelicans have a really good shot to be a sleeper team and surprise team for these playoffs. 
um, for the Western Conference. And then Eastern-wise, I mean, the Hawks are figuring it out. Knicks are pretty much done. They don't look motivated to play basketball whatsoever in their games. You called it a couple of weeks ago. The Bulls were, you know, they had the hardest schedule. They dropped the past four in a row and are now down to the four seed in the East. Sixers and Bucks have shot their way up. Celtics still playing incredible basketball. Huge win over the Nets tonight. I'm sure you'll talk about that. But um, yeah, I, I think the playoffs are, are going to shake up more and more as we go on over the next couple of weeks. I don't think there's any clear cut. I mean, besides the Suns in the West and the Heat in the East, like it's anyone's ball game and to end up wherever. I mean, the Sixers could end up in the play-in tournament if they start to skid. I think any, yeah, um, any of the Eastern Conference teams, if they lose three or four in a row, I know Cleveland plays Toronto tonight at 7.30. That's so a huge game. That's a big game because if if Toronto – I think Toronto right now sits a game and a half behind Cleveland. No, two games actually. So two games, yeah. I think, I think if Cleveland wins that game, I don't want to say it solidifies them in the top six, but – it goes a long way. Like today, I mean, Celtics huge win. Jason Tatum, 54 points, Jalen Brown, 21, Kevin Durant. uh, I'll give him credit for a guy that's missed. I know he played Thursday, but missed the last 47 days of basketball for him to put up in a very efficient 37 points while getting into Mm -hmm. early foul trouble was great. Kyrie though did not, I mean, 19 points. um, Didn't play great defense. I think Marcus smart. If you want, I know you didn't watch the game. You're at home, but um Marcus Smart you could hear him he was wired up on his birthday of course um but Mm -hmm. he was telling guys Tice guys who especially like Daniel Tice Al Horford guys that normally get fouls called on them throughout the game how to guard Kyrie how to stand next to Kyrie and really you know he always does that pull through and being able to steal the ball the Celtics I think at one point we're outscoring the Nets in transition 16 to 4 or something along those lines so um and then Tatum just taking over in the second half as he's been doing for you know the last two three years um Celtics are I mean, definitely since, scary since entering the league he has more 50 point games than any player in the NBA right Jason Tatum is now tied with Larry Bird for the most 50 point games in Celtic history and that's he, he turned incredible. 24 on Thursday yeah like he put up we were talking about the the Grizzlies and uh Celtics game from Thursday I mean both him and jaw had terrible first halves by their standards they didn't have the best games when you look at the stat sheet at the end of the night in terms of shooting efficiency, but they were both still getting the line. Both had over 35 points in that game. Um, So I think the Celtics are dangerous. I think Miami, that was a huge win last night. I know Harden wasn't playing for the Sixers, but that Miami defense, I think if we got a Miami Celtics series somewhere along the lines, I think that's going to be one of the most defensive series you're going to see probably in the NBA. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, maybe if we got a heat Suns finals, a Celtics Suns finals, it would be pretty heavily contested in the defense defensive department there. But uh, I think Miami really showed why they're the number one team in the East right now. I think going into the playoffs, they are going to have that one seed, but it's going to be tight. Cause if, if, you know, Brooklyn or Toronto ends up the eight seed, I mean, really that's a tough, that's a tough first round matchup to have. If, if you're the Miami heat, uh, especially if Simmons, Kyrie and Duran are all healthy. Um, the Nets still gave the Celtics a game today, despite, and it took Tatum 54, Jalen Brown 21 yeah. for, for them to come out, you know, victorious, which by all means credit to the Celtics, but the Nets still fully healthy. Um, they're still a scary team. I think it's, I mean, they have Dragic coming off the bench, the Marcus Aldridge um, guys who are still playing effective minutes there. Patty Mills, I know has hit a few big shots for them was starting for them for a while. So now when he's really your ninth, 10th man coming off the bench, um, you know, you're in trouble. So um, yeah. 
Yeah. And then to go back to the West, like you were saying, I mean, I think I said it the same thing you just said a few weeks ago with the, with the Pelicans starting to roll. They're really trying to get that momentum into next year. I really hope we do get a, uh, a Lakers Pelicans nine ten matchup. I think that would be great, especially, you know, we all know lay GM trading Brandon Ingram. I know Lonzo ball isn't there anymore, mm-hmm. but for them to get Anthony Davis, I think that would be a great matchup. I think we, I I'd be open to a Brandon Ingram revenge game, knocking the Lakers out of mm-hmm. the playoffs. I think, I think a I lot of people, that. I think a lot of people would like to see that. <laughs> um, I mean, the Timberwolves, I feel like they're a team we don't talk about a lot. Yeah, they're, no one's talking about the Timberwolves, they, I feel they like. Had, they blew out the Celtics around Christmas time. The Celtics, I think Tatum was out or somebody big was out for the Celtics at that time. And I was like, that why makes- are we getting smoked by the Timberwolves? And they're 36 and 29. I think they're two games back of the Nuggets for being in the top six. I don't know if they'll quite get there, but uh, D'Angelo Russell's playing huge. Carl Anthony Towns, I feel like, is like a low-key MVP candidate that we don't talk about yeah. very often. I know he's had a lot of injuries, but uh, he's playing with a chip on his shoulder. So Clippers, I think, should be getting Kawhi back at some point soon. So I really don't see the Lakers getting any higher than that, if I'm being no. completely honest. I mean, they're five I, games back of the Clippers for eight, and I think the Clippers are just going to continue to roll. They've been rolling lately. So. Yeah, Clippers have been playing, playing well. Timberwolves seven and three in their last ten. I I love the cat take. I think Cat um has just been playing really solid all year long. I don't think he's ever had a low moment and a high moment. I think once he can start hitting those high moments on a much more consistent basis, I think that's his name gets into the MVP conversation. A lot of people throwing around John Morant um as the MVP now. Um, granted the Grizzlies are number two, and he's the main reason why that they've scored that high. Um, you obviously have Jokic and Embiid still heavy in that conversation. Um, obviously, Steph Curry was the leader probably halfway yeah. through the year. And now he's completely out of conversation for that. Um, and, it, and it shows the Warriors not playing the same since he hasn't played the same. Losing Dre is another huge part of that. Um, you know, so, I mean, the, the West is wide open. The East is wide open, except the two top teams in each. I, the Suns, I, I think as much as we don't talk about the Timberwolves, I feel like the Suns are not nearly getting talked about as much as they should be. Like if this is the Lakers doing what the Suns are doing, the media would oh, be yeah. all over it. Even yeah. Like if it was the Celtics, the Sixers, like any big market teams that would get talked about, but it's the Suns who have such a good roster and it's not being talked about. When you have Chris, Chris Paul, one of the best players in the league right now, Devin Booker, one of the best young stars in the league, DeAndre Aiden, who, I mean, there's still controversy around his whole deal. When's he going to get his max contract? When's he going to get a deal? So th- there's a lot going on in that organization that is not seeing the light of day, where if I feel if it was any other team in their situation, it would be the biggest talked about story in the NBA, which I think actually might be helping the Suns a little bit, I, if I'm being honest. I mean, I think so. I don't think they're blowing this one seat anytime soon. I know Devin Booker's been out for the last few games with health and safety protocols. Chris Paul's probably out the rest of the regular season with the broken yeah. wrist or broken hand. Um, which probably is a good thing he got injured when he did because, you know, get him off his feet a little bit. Maybe he can come back towards the end of the regular season, uh, rest up a little bit. They were still able to beat the Knicks the other night. Cam Johnson, I think, had nine three-pointers, breaking the Suns' most three-pointers in a game for someone that came off the bench. He had like 34, 36, um, hit the game winner from, from almost center court. Um, they're playing a very good game against Milwaukee right now. I've been watching that. Um, since the end of the Celtics game. So, I mean, DeAndre Ayton is carrying this team right now, and they're putting up – I mean, the Knicks aren't playoff caliber, but the Bucks definitely going to make some noise in the Eastern Conference. 
I guess I know we said you said it last time. You had Celtics Grizzlies as a finals. You think that's still the way it's looking in your book? Because I don't I don't hate it. The way the Grizzlies have been playing that that game against the Celtics, it was a sloppy first half the other night, but that second yeah. half, I mean, that's why they were on TNT on national TV. Um, exactly. Like yeah. the Celtics right now, I was looking at an efficiency metric and it's one of those, like, not a T chart, but it's like one of those graphs that crosses in the middle. And if you're to the right and towards the top, that means you're super efficient offensively, defensively. And then if you're bottom left, you're least efficient. Celtics literally are on the top right of the chart. And then the next closest teams are like towards the middle of the graph. Like Celtics have played super efficient um, since the all-star break. And uh, it's showing like they're, they're just a very good basketball team or excuse me, since, um, since new year's, not the all-star yeah. break. Yeah. Since, since yeah. Since, um, uh, since RJ Barrett hit a three pointer, like the craziest three pointer in the history of the world, the Celtics yeah. are 23 and six or 21 and six. That's nuts. Oh my God. I, I can't wait to see what the Celtics are going to do in playoffs. Cause now you have, it's a team that has been to the Eastern conference finals before. Granted it was a COVID year. You have young studs in Tatum and Brown who have faced multiple playoff losses. And now like the city's just kind of like, Hey, what's going to happen? What are you guys going to do? And this is, I think this is the longest stretch we've seen Tatum and Brown both play top of their game at the same time over, I mean, the course of a month, they've been incredible. Um, and then that's, I mean, even Al Horford, you know, like yeah, his age, the yeah. th- th- this is the best he's been playing in years, you know? Um, and, and obviously like the points aren't there, but like when you watch him, like as a pick and roll guy, as a rebounder, as a defender, like he is keeping up with guys who are much faster, much younger than him and a lot more skilled in some ways. And he's making them look like JV kids on the court. Like he's, he's been really great for the Celtics. Yeah, no, I mean, if I were to tell you back in, what was that in June? Uh, we were going to trade Kemba Walker for Al Horford and Al Horford was going to be the better part of that trade. You would have called me crazy. We all thought when we first were getting Al Horford that we that Brad Stevens was going to make another move and ship Horford for something else. And that clearly wasn't the case. We thought maybe Brad Beal was going to end up here. Um, and that's been quite the pickup. Rob Williams, still one of the best yep. defensive uh, or highest defensive efficiency ratings in the league. And his offensive efficiency rating isn't that shabby either. And then Marcus Smart. I mean, heart and soul of this team. He's hitting three pointers. He's playing great defense. Um, their record, I think last time was like 12 and one when he didn't play uh, or 12 and one since his injury ret- return from injury. Now, I think there's something like 15, 16 and two um, wow. since he came back from from COVID protocol. So so this is going to be fun. I hope they can squeeze back up in their fifth right now. I hope, I think the way it's going, I feel like top four is going to be Miami, Philly. I'd say Milwaukee and then Boston. I, th- I think we're going to get a Chicago Celtics first round matchup. Yeah. Um, I think, I think so Cavs, too. Cavs, Bucks is looking like the way it'll be. And then possibly Toronto, Philly, Brook. I think Brooklyn, Philly would be great. I know the NBA would mm-hmm. love that um, for a first round so. matchup. I think that would just sell. I think they're hoping maybe they'll get it a little bit later in like a conference finals round, but, um, and then Miami, Toronto, possibly Miami nets. I mean, the Hawks, I think, I think too, like right now season ended today, it'd be nets Hawks in a nine, 10 matchup. And I feel like a lot of people would obviously take the nets right now, but if season ended today, Kyrie couldn't play at home, but still, I think Trey young, you don't want to play him in one game with everything on the line. Just for after what he did last year, that team has experience. So yeah, and and he's had a really great second half of the season as yeah. well with how 
I mean, we were barely talking about him early in the season, and now it seems like every night he's going off to some degree. And I mean, even even with not getting many offensive fouls called on him or defensive fouls called on him, as the uh, previous year when he was jumping into guys and pulling up shots from wherever and just getting hit, like he's still putting up 28 points a game, like even without all the gimme free throws that he was getting last season. So, yeah. I feel like there's like 12 guys right now. Like, I mean, Joe LMB, Giannis Antetokounmpo, DeMar DeRozan, Jason Tatum, mm-hmm. uh, probably not Durant anymore, but Trey Young, probably Devin Booker I'd throw in there, John Morant, Steph Curry still, uh, you know, Jokic, and then LeBron and Cat. I feel like if you told me any of those guys were going to win the MVP, I would be like, okay. I mean, if LeBron won the MVP this year, I it would be like, you know, it's another one for LeBron. Mad. Their team sucks. But, like, think about how bad the Lakers would be if they did not have LeBron James. Yeah. Like, if they had AD and Russ, they would be – they would probably be – probably behind the Kings. Probably yeah. be, like, where the Kings and Spurs are right now. So. Yeah. But also, I think, in that, in that respect, to LeBron and to Russ, I think if LeBron's not on that team, I think Russ is who they run the offense through every single time. But I think that's where Russ Westbrook – uh, thrives and does really well yeah but yeah I mean that's all really I had on the NBA I think it's like we've been saying it's gonna be interesting to see how how we go down the stretch I feel like in in a normal podcast this would be uh you know or in a normal world this would be where we go to our MLB season predictions for the American League because it's that time of the year but we can't do that because we don't know no. if Freddie Freeman's gonna be a Yankee if Matt Olson's gonna be a Yankee Apparently, mm-hmm. Carlos Correa might be a Red Sox, and I don't understand That's that. That's what I've we, been hearing. We couldn't sign Mookie Betts, but now we can give $300 million to a guy who's a two-time All-Star. Come on. And we got Xander Bogarts and all the infielders in the world in our farm system. Don't know about that one. But uh, yeah. can't really speculate because the teams can't fucking talk right now. So I, um, I, can't, I can't even believe we're in this situation where it's like, We've been, we're what, 54 days, 55 days? 90, 94. It's been, I think it's been 54 since they first first met. Like, since, because I think January 15th they met, but they've been locked out since December 2nd, which also is ridiculous. They waited six weeks to um, have their first conversation to to go over it. So, yeah, I just, Manfred's got to go at some point. I just don't. And, and what's crazy is that the things they are proposing, they need the vast majority of owners on board for what's being proposed. I think 23 or 24 out of the 30 owners need to say yes before they even put something into proposal. So the fact that it's not even Manfred, but it's the vast majority of owners who think that their side of the deal actually makes sense and is good for the health of the league is just absolutely ridiculous to me. Yeah, like, I believe the they need eight votes from or eight vetoes from an owner so they need 22 out of 30 teams to say yes to make sure that anything gets passed and what they're saying is is those there's probably 10 or 11 teams that are the cheap teams so the marlins the pirates the guardians um tampa bay like all these teams oakland teams that don't give a shit are just continuing to push it off and veto because they don't want these players to get paid anymore um I mean, I know they're they're raised. They want to raise the player minimum salary to 700k, which great. I think that's good with a 10k increase per year. But at the same time, they're trying to add 14 playoff teams. We've had this conversation that's before. So 14 is too many. The players are kind of open to it at this point because they realize they're going to have the players are going to have to give to get a little bit more money. But then I think there's 
things going around where if they do that, then they want two more expansion teams guaranteed within the next four years, which who the hell knows who would want to invest in a team at this point. I mean, they, they make great money. The Marlins sold for a billion dollars. Um, they've even talked about the ghost win. I don't know if you heard the ghost win. So I heard the phrase. It's, I have no idea what the ghost. Win I, I had no idea what it was either, but it's essentially what, what teams are thinking. Cause I think the owners were thinking they would do a, and for those at home, the owners were thinking of doing seven, kind of like the NFL, seven playoff teams in each conference. And that first kind of wild card round, the players want said they would do it, but they would want it to be a three game series. The owners want a best three out of five, which would be putting these home teams or the one seeds. You're not finishing playoffs until mid-November. Exactly. Exactly. So what the players are proposing now is they'll do that, but what they'll want is they want whoever the one or the the higher seed is, they want to basically start the series with a 1-0 lead. So I don't hate that part of it as much. I think. Because basically, and if it were to be like a two or three series, basically that home team would only have to win one game. So it'd be like if the home team wins that first game, they move on. If they lose, they play another game, which I don't hate that because I know they've talked about doing that for the wild card game itself, having there be the four and five seeds still play. But if the five seed wins, they get they have to beat that team twice. Because I think it makes sense in yeah. scenarios where like the Dodgers won 106 games this year and the Cardinals won 90. Why should the Dodgers have to go home? Because they played in the best division in baseball. Like, yeah. It's, it's crazy that a decade ago we were at eight teams making playoffs, and now we're possibly discussing 14, almost double that a decade. And you're adding eight more playoff teams within a 10-year span. Yeah, and it like, took that them is absurd. from, not, I think, 95 was the first year of eight teams, and it took them 17, 17 years to add two total. I think yeah. I still think 12 is the number. I think even if you expand to 32, I think 12 is the number. They keep yeah, saying – I think they keep saying 14 because this year the Mariners happened to win 90 games and they were the seventh best team in the national league, but, or in the American league. But at the same time, there's years where the sixth place team has a losing record or barely over 500 records. So it's, it's crazy. I know they got to play the pay the players more too. I know they're um, working on a draft lottery too, to make it a little bit more competitive, but the owners were only proposing for the top five picks to be a lottery, which I think really yeah. you got to do top 10. You got to do what the NBA is doing, what the NHL is doing. I think the NFL might go down that route eventually. Um, I think it's easier to tank games in baseball than it is in football. Cause there's so many more games in baseball, but who knows if, if the, if the MLB implements it, you could see the NFL do something similar down the line, but the NFL isn't dealing with these labor negotiation problems right now. So. No, no. And it's, I think it's going to be a really, really long time before we even see a CBA like dispute between the owners and the players in the NFL. Like really the only, the only real thing I could see in the NFL is if owners, let's say, I don't even know because, I mean, they have the salary cap situation. So most of the time they're in a pretty good spot when it does come to salary cap and paying players and making sure they're compensated well. But, I mean, NFL players are going to make 600 grand in the next couple of years. I think they already are um, as a minimum salary. I believe it's 580. It's going to be 590 this year, maybe six next year. Um, So the NFL players are compensated really well. um, For a sport that's kind of on a surge back, you know, they had a couple down years in the late 2010s. Um, where people were just boycotting the league uh, because of the protests that were going on, Roger Goodell as a human being, and everything in between. 
Um, and now the, the NFL just had one of its biggest seasons since 2014 in terms of revenue and viewership. And now that's going to help out generate more cash flow for these players down the line. Obviously it's not a one-to-one one year result. Like it's going to build and build and that's going to allow them to bump up the salary cap where it is baseball. You don't really have that. Like all most contracts are guaranteed completely. If I'm yep. not mistaken on that. Yep. No, um, that's true. You have the luxury tax, but that's really it. I mean, for the big teams, like the Yankees, the Red Sox, um, these big market teams that have a lot of money and a lot of history that doesn't affect them as much as some of these smaller market teams. So I think, I, I don't think it stops here at the lockout. I think there's going to be even more changes less than a decade from now to the CBA and at least yeah. something come up for the players, especially if they don't get their end of the deal right now with the 700 K minimum salary. Yeah. I, I think the 700 K minimum salary, the players are for, it's just all the other bullshit. Like the owners will not increase the, the luxury tax threshold, the CBT, which is ridiculous because that yeah. just means they don't want to pay more money. Not that these Oakland's regardless of what the salary cap and the CBT ends up being, the Rays, the A's, the guard, again, those same teams, they're not going to hit that anyway. They're not going to even no. be remotely close. So I don't get why. And that's the thing is these Yankee owner, Red Sox owners, they're, they're whatever they want. They want these They'll games. They'll shell out money for whoever. Games. Exactly. So I think some of these, I've heard too, some of these, these TV contracts, a lot of them are like a hundred and my cattle is ridiculous today. <laughs> um, but most of these are like 130 games or something along those lines. So I'm going to go take care of that. But before we do that, Jordan, how about our mock draft? Yeah, man. would love to talk about football this time around. Um, just got done with the combine. A lot of great names to see from there. Jack and I have both done a full mock draft. Uh, we're going to go ahead and talk about our top five picks. And also we're going to go through three surprising picks, whether they're trades, reaches, guys dropping in the first round and everything in between. But I just want to highlight a couple of guys from the combine. Jordan Davis at 330 something pounds, six foot six, ran a 478.40 official, which is absolutely unbelievable. Um, we've had the fastest defensive backs that we've seen in the combine, the fastest receivers, fastest offensive linemen, fastest defensive linemen, like group positions. This is the fastest we've ever seen in the combine. Um, it's in years since 2003 is the big year that everyone keeps referencing. Um, so a lot of great players to come out. Um, but Jack and I, we're going to go ahead we're going to share our top five picks in the draft. Um, I figured we could go one for one or like we did with the NBA, just run through our top five. What do you think is going to work better? Let's go. Uh, let's go one for one this time. We don't have much else to talk about. Like I said, we've been roasting the NBA or the, the MLB the whole time. So, uh, we can go one for one here. You want to go five to one? Yeah, let's let's go five to one, and then we'll go over our top picks. And again, this isn't where where we think um, certain guys are going to go. These are or or unless that's what you have, Jack. I know I already have my big board, so I know who my top five players in the entire draft are. And spoiler alert, but not spoiler alert, I have all my top five going in the first five picks. Um, so I'm not sure how you want to run your side. You uh, yeah, I have it at where I think these guys are going. Okay, like, cool. Um, these guys probably are, would be within probably the top seven or eight of mine. I haven't done like a, a full on ranking because you're ranking guys at different positions. I know last year we did a lot like we did. A, we tiered them more so. Yeah, um, so and I didn't. And this time around, I didn't do any trades either. 
Um, from what okay. I've been hearing, there hasn't been too many talks, but I think we're definitely going to see some with the amount of teams that have two or three first round picks this year. I think yeah. we're going to see it. The Lions have three, I believe. The Eagles, I know, have three. Eagles have three. Lions have two. They have the Lions have two. two. Giants have two. two. And the Jets have two. And the Jets have two. So I think and we're the definitely going to. And the Dolphins, yeah. So I feel like we're definitely going to see some trades um, with the amount of teams not in there, but. This is what I have. I don't really think the top five, I think the Giants will utilize that five pick unless they're trying to trade up and get, you know, the one or two pick and having to trade both the five and seven. But um, so number five, I got uh, Charles Cross, offensive tackle for Mississippi mm. State going to the Giants. I've seen the Giants again with that seven pick might go offense, defense. They might go defense, defense. No one really knows what they're doing. I've seen um, what's the kid's name, the wide receiver from from USC. Um, oh, Drake London. Yeah, I've seen him potentially mentioned there. Um, but I think they're going to go O-line with that first pick because this is a really good O-line, really in a D-line draft. There's a, there's a lot yeah. of top prospects. So I think at this point, it's kind of spoiler alert, but Evan Neal will be off the board at this point. Um, so mm. I think I think they're going to go with – and actually I have someone else a little bit ahead of him, but uh, they're going to go with the next available. Yeah, I like the Charles Crossbeck. I, I think he can go as early as the top five, and I think he could honestly slip out of the first round. I mean, he had wow. a great combine. He's a big player, but the amount of teams that need a true left tackle, which is what he is, I don't know um, what that scope's going to look like, especially with top talent like um, E.K. Nawagnu, or Ekwonu, excuse me, and Evan Neal, who I have at number five. Uh, the versatile offensive lineman from Alabama. The only reason he's my first lineman off the board at number five, Evan Neal. Uh, and the main, the main reason is that he spent a full season at uh, right tackle. He spent a full season at right guard and he spent a full season at left tackle during his uh, junior year at Alabama. Um, I mean, he's a massive human being, six seven three fifty, can move very well, a very smart football player. Um, I just think that, He's the best and most balanced lineman in this draft because you can move him wherever. And not only can you move him, but he's going to dominate wherever you move him. Yeah. Um, you know, he, he's very sound. I remember watching the national championship uh, two years ago or a year ago. Um, and he was playing right guard and the announcers couldn't get over the fact that he was such a mammoth of a human being, just an absolute unit at six, seven, three fifty. I mean, there's not many guys at that size and not even at that size, but his skill level, how fast his feet are, how violent he is with his hands. Like he's just the perfect package offensive lineman you want out of this draft. And I think that's the biggest issue for the Giants is that if they get an O-line and give Daniel Jones time, he has Kennedy Galladay, Kadarius Toney, Sterling Shepard just took a very team-friendly deal. He did. I know people, I know people don't like Evan Ingram, but he is a playmaker. He's one of the fastest tight ends in the entire league, and he's a big body. So, and not only that, I know Saquon is most likely going to be gone by the time the draft rolls around, but you still have a very solid running back in the backfield, regardless of the injuries. I mean, when healthy, he's, he's a top 10 running back. And yeah. I think, I think if you fix the offensive line, which has been the entire issue since Dave Gettleman became uh, the GM of the team and they never chose to address it. I think this Giants team is much different, especially the offensive side of the ball if they build the offensive line, I think Evan Neal's the right guy to do it. Yeah. I I think it's going to be interesting as like we get closer to the draft. Cause like I said, once, and once we hit free agency, cause when is that, is that the 17th of March? Is uh, it 16th. Around? 16th. Okay. So the day before St. Patty's 16th. day, I think once we see that too, that's going to shape up a lot of what these, and obviously we'll do this again, but um, mm -hmm. so I think that'll shape it up too. So, and I think, I think the giants and a lot of teams in that top 10 do need alignment. So, yeah. 
Um, 100%. I think that'll be, that'll be interesting to see. Um, number four, got another O-lineman. You just mentioned his name. I have Nkwonu, right? Am I pronouncing that correctly? I think so. Let, let me pull it up. Ike Nkwonu. Yeah. I have him going to the Jets um, out of NC State. I think same thing. Jets need help on their O-line. I think he's the second best O-lineman in this draft. Um, so I, again, I see it being a, a, a early heavy O-lineman draft. So I have him off the board to the Jets. Um, cause they, I think yeah. the Jets could really use almost anything at this point. I don't think they need another receiver. Obviously they just took Zach Wilson last year. Um, and they actually don't have like the worst running back situation, um, in the world either. So I think, I think beef that O-line up. Um, Elijah Moore, you know, had, had a lot of bright spots last year. Corey Davis should come back healthy. Um, Michael Carter, I think, you know, he showed sparks of that. He could be, a, you know, a top, a top half of the league running back, maybe even a top 10 down the line with the right O-line. So I think, again, just beef up that O-line, give Wilson some more protection, um, kind of like the Giants are doing with Daniel Jones and, and that offensive line as well. Exactly. And like you said, Jets are a team that have the pieces to be a good team. It's just they got to figure out that offensive line. I mean, the right side was awful. Mekhi Becton and Elijah Tucker are both good, but it's that right side, kind of like the Bengals, that just could not perform the entire season. Um, and I know they want to move George Fant to left tackle and have a compete with Mekhi Becton. So now that leaves that right tackle spot completely open. So I think Ekim is a guy who is violent enough and is – fast enough to make the transition to right tackle. I mean, that's, to me, what I saw in Ekim is that whatever he lacks in skill set compared to Evan Neal, he makes up for in athleticism and being violent. And that's that's the key to his game. And that's why he's such an attractive prospect uh, for an offensive line and a potential top five pick. So I don't disagree with that pick whatsoever. I think if the Jets do go with Ekim, I think that's great. I personally think Neal's the better player, but Ekim does have, in my opinion, a higher ceiling once he gets more of those skills down, like more yeah. of those finite things down, because he is incredibly physical and incredibly violent uh, in the open field. So both are very good. Um, I personally have this guy at number four. Some people might be shocked that I have him slipping so low, but Kayvon Thibodeau from Oregon, I have him falling to the Jets at number four. I actually have him number five on my big board. I think he's very good, um, but I think he's a little bit overrated for the skill set he has. He's very strong, very fast, very physical. But when it comes to him, you know, he, his pass rushes, he's got two main moves. He's got the dip and rip to go through guys and a bull rush. He needs to add more pass rushes to his arsenal. And I think he can be the best edge player in this draft. But for what the Jets are looking for, I mean, they get Carl Olsen back from last year. And then you add Kayvon Thibodeau off the edge to the, I mean, two best pressure makers in college and in the NFL that's the perfect thing Robert Salah needs in order to get this defense going. So I think the Jets getting cave on at number four, I think he's going to slip past Houston and they would rather go with someone else in my opinion, but cave on, I think is going to be an absolute freak and automatically brings an incredible mindset to this defense that he's just going to come at you with everything he's got and is going to run you over. That's how the, that's how those Jets defenses of old got to those two AFC championships. It wasn't Mark Sanchez. It wasn't the offense. It was those defenses. So I think, again, would be a solid pick. The Jets, I don't think there's any, I want to say there's not a wrong pick because it's the Jets and we all know they like yeah. to fuck this shit up. But um, I don't think as long as, you know, they don't reach for anybody or maybe, who knows, they trade back. But I don't think at that four spot, there's really anyone um, that wouldn't help their team and their needs. 
Yeah. Um, and, and again, it's it's going to take a lot for him to slip, but I think the Texans and Lions have more dire needs at yeah. other positions than taking Kayvon. But still, even if Kayvon goes one or two, I think it's a fine pick regardless. Well, I have Kayvon going six. He's not even in my top five. Interesting. But going to Carolina. I'm one of the Panthers. Okay. I think the Panthers go defense again and really try to build off it because J.C. Horn didn't have a bad year. Um, I know a lot of it. I mean, for the three him. games he played. Yeah. I mean, but, um, but I think he'll be, I think they'll go, you know, heavy on the defense again. Um, my number three, and I think if Houston doesn't go defense here, if they don't go Thibodeau, I, I think they're going to go this guy. And that's why I have it. I have Kyle Hamilton out of Notre Dame. Okay. Their secondary yep. was terrible this year. I mean, yeah. there's really no way to put it. I think if they don't go Hamilton, they're going to go Thibodeau at three. Um, and try to kind of not that he is JJ Watt, but no one's JJ Watt, but try to rebuild that. I think, but yeah. their secondary was just so bad. They need someone um, that can help that out. And he's he's the best defensive back. So um, I think you got to go him at three if you're Houston. Again, Thibodeau probably next in line, but their secondaries, their their defense sucked in general. So you got you got to yeah. go defense number three there. There there's no ifs ands or buts. Yeah, I think Houston can find an edge rusher for agency. Um, I actually have to go with Derek Stingley, the cornerback okay. out of LSU. I think this guy's a much faster and much more aggressive Jalen Ramsey-type corner. He can press you. He can run with you. He flips his hips fast. Um, I mean, he didn't have a great year this past season before he got hurt, but I think if you go back and look at the 2019, uh, 2019 tape when he was a freshman – um, on that LSU national championship team, he was shutting down first round receivers week after week after week. The only receiver that really beat him was Devonte Smith. And that was on, he, he just caught him off guard because he was trying to communicate with his coach on the sideline and Devonte just scooted right by him. Cause he yeah. realizes the snap went later. Like that's not his fault. That's his coach trying to communicate something to him. Um, yeah. But Stingley has the ball skills. He has the aggressiveness, the speed, uh, the hand quickness, I, I I think he's the top corner in this draft, and I think he's a day one starter right away at the number one corner spot. He'll travel with guys. He'll move with guys. I mean, there's tape that came out today from him against Jamar Chase in practice, and he shut down Jamar Chase multiple times, and we know how good Jamar Chase is. So, granted, it's practice, but it's multiple week after week after week. Those two were just making each other better. I think Houston makes the right call for going for Derek Stingley here given that their front seven actually isn't all that terrible. They have guys there. Um, and I think they find their final pieces in the free agency period and take yeah. Stingley here at three. Yeah, no, I like that. I, I think they, I think like we both said, the secondary needs the help. So yeah. I don't hate that pick. It's funny too. Cause I did, I, I didn't base it off. Like I obviously based off of what I know the teams need, but I saw mock drafts where like Neil was going like outside the top five. I saw mock drafts yeah. where, um, you know, Jamison Williams was outside the first round, but I saw somewhere he was going in the top 10. Like it's, it's so crazy this year. Like just how different yeah. it is where last year it's like, all right, Trevor's going one Wilson's probably going to, I know three, there was like Trey or Mac, but like we really knew who the top 10 guys were, where this year, like you said, yeah. there's guys that could be picked in the first round. There's guys that could, we think are top five that could slip out of the first round. Like, it's just so, it's yeah. so crazy. Like um, you have guys like Aiden Hutchinson, who to most, to the majority of people is a clear cut number one, but you still see mock where Evan Neal's the first guy, Kayvon Thibodeau's the first guy. Yeah. And I've, I've seen a few Kyle Hamilton's the first guy. Yeah. Like there, there is so much discrepancy in this draft where you're not really sure who's going to go even number one. I mean, most of us would agree 
Aiden Hutchinson is the number one pick just based on Jaguars needs, but I wouldn't be shocked if someone else goes number one. So that brings me to my next point. I think Aiden Hutchinson is the best player in the draft. I think he's definitely yep. cut number one there, but I think he does fall the two to the Lions. I think I, I, okay. I guess it gives it away. I have the Jaguars taking Evan Neal number one just because I feel like they want to protect Trevor so much and protect that cornerstone or cornerstone. Why not get the best guy? Travis Etienne is going to be coming off um, the ACL spring, and I believe so. Um, yeah, I think he, he tore his ACL. If I'm not I mean, mistaken. he's out for the year, so. Um, or maybe it was Achilles. I, I might be mixing him and Cam Akers up, but um, but I think they got to oh, beef up. Achilles. That's right. Okay, Achilles. so that's what it was. So I think they got to beef up that offensive line. I think the I think Hutchinson basically just for the Lions, it makes the most sense to take him next. I think if Hutchinson does go one, it completely fucks up my mock draft because I don't think the Lions are going back to back O linemen in the top two. I think maybe Kyle Hamilton might be a good fit for them. Um, in the secondary, again, build up that secondary a little bit, but, um, yeah, I got Hutchinson, I guess you can say falling. Cause I don't think he really falls outside that top two. Um, and then Evan Neal, I think the Jaguars, Doug Peterson, an offensive minded coach as well. Um, you know, that those Philly teams had pretty solid O-lines. I think, I think they go O-line as well and, and protect, protect Trevor. Cause I know they yeah. need an offensive line in Jacksonville. So they kind of similar to Houston. They need a lot in Jacksonville. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think, Detroit for all the pieces they have and what they need. I think they actually go with Kyle Hamilton at number two. Okay. I think Kyle Hamilton's the best defensive back in this draft. Like you were saying, has a lot of range, has a lot of speed. He can fill into the box. I mean, he's six, four two twenty. you know, like he plays like think about how Tyron Matthew plays super aggressive, can fly downhill. He can play over the top. He's a playmaker, gets his hand on the ball constantly. And he's five, nine, one eighty. You get someone who's, half a foot taller and has the weight of a linebacker at 220. Like Kyle Hamilton, such a great generational talent, not only from how he plays, but the size he brings to the position, you know? Yeah. And I, I think teams could use like the lions could use him, how the Cardinals should be using someone like Isaiah Simmons, someone who's six four two forty and played safety played nickel can play out wide at corner from time to time. Like you could do that with Kyle Hamilton, who's arguably better athlete than Simmons, you know, yeah. like, I mean, his 40 time wasn't great from what I've seen. I think he ran a four five, nine unofficial, but we all know 40 speed and game speed are completely different. I yeah. mean, Traylon Burks clocked at a four five, but if you watch his t- highlight tape at any point, the season, he's faster than most players on the field. Um, so I think Kyle Hamilton too makes a lot of sense for the Lions. Play him opposite Tracy Walker. I mean, really lock down that secondary for. I mean, they got Jeff Okuda coming back. Um, Orue Orwarie, I think that's how you say his name. Um, super good corner, very good in zone. And I think those if you get those four guys to all play together and work together, the Lions have a very solid secondary and a great coach in Dan Campbell to help get that defense in shape. I know he's an offensive guy, but he has a very good aggressive mentality that is infectious. And we saw that from the defense at some points during the season. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, kind of back to your point too, with how big Hamilton is Patriots do the same thing with uh, Kyle Duggar. I know we got him in the second round and everyone was like, who the hell is Bill drafting um, from there? But I mean, it's worked out well, especially I know the not too many teams have like crazy great tight ends, but like the Mark Andrews, the Travis Kelsey's the Wallers of the world, guys like Kyle Hamilton, uh, or excuse me, like Kyle Duggar can, can guard him. I think it goes, exactly. you know, it goes a long way. So um, the way the lead, league is now to have guys with speed that can also defend 
um, but are bigger because um, guys are just getting bigger and stronger. I think that's huge. So I'm guessing you have Hutchinson one. Okay. Yeah, I, I do have Hutchinson one. Um, I think he's the most NFL-ready prospect we've seen since Jadavion Clowney. And I know Clowney got off to a slow start and really hasn't reached the potential we saw in college. But as far as being NFL-ready, NFL size, NFL speed, Hutchinson's that guy. I mean, he's a great run defender, number one. No one could run through him this year. And then he brings a lot of cool pass skill sets to the table. I mean, he can hit you with the speed rush, has a great Euro step where he jabs inside and works outside. And he can get both hands on you and drive you back and spin inside or outside when he wants to. I mean, he's the perfect defensive end in this draft. If you're looking for a guy to rebuild your defense, um, I think he's very similar to Max Crosby, where, I mean, Crosby was a fourth round pick, but we've seen what he's done in the league. I mean, he led the league in pressures this year for PFF, um, was constantly in the backfield on run plays and on pass plays, was around quarterbacks all game long. So I think Hutchinson is a guy that can do that from day one, where he's not like Max, where you need to develop him for a couple games. Um, Hutchinson's going to be a day one starter for the Jags. And if you line him up opposite Josh Allen, and use him kind of as a 3-4 outside linebacker. I mean, most teams don't run 3-4-4-3 three, four, four, three anymore. Most teams have nickel as their base, but both coming off the edge, I mean, who do you double? You really can't. And then if they can pick up someone interior during either a later round in the draft or pick someone up in free agency, they have a nasty front six with Miles Jack, um, Joe Schobert. I mean, they Dylan Moses coming. I mean, Schobert's on the Steelers now, not Schobert. I'm forgetting who their other linebacker is, but Dylan Moses was highly touted high school recruit who just had injury troubles. I mean, he's a guy who can come in and play at the same side as Miles Jack. And then with those two off the edge and they have a good enough defensive back to handle it. I mean, that Jaguars team could be nasty with a guy like Aiden Hutchison joining their team. Yeah, no, I think, I think that's great. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if Hutchinson does go one. My mock draft definitely might change. I think, do you think if Neil goes one though, do you think Hutchinson goes to the Lions and that slides him yeah. a little bit? Yeah. Yeah. I think if Neil goes one, everything bumps down, but I still think the Giants take a, um, so if, if Neil goes one, I think the Lions take Hutchinson mm-hmm. and then the Texans take Hamilton, but then I think the Jets end up still taking Kayvon, and I think Derek Stingley falls out of the top five. Okay, that would make sense. I guess, that you know, yeah. like Sting, Stingley is a great player, and I think there's a lot of doubts after his uh, junior season, but I still think the Texans want to take a shot on him because they need the DB help. Yeah. You know, I mean, and the next best DB is Ahmad Sauce Gardner from Cincinnati, but even I don't think he's a top 10 or he's going to go in the top 10 just based on team need. So yeah. we'll see. Yeah. Well, um, we also wanted to go over three surprises. I kind of want to throw my three surprises just all out at once and just see what yeah, you go for it. You're going to think mine are crazy. Go for it. I think Jordan Davis goes to the Eagles. Ooh. Okay. I think Jamison Williams goes to the Chargers. At 17, because you're at not 17. I have actually Jordan Davis going 16 and Jamison Williams going 17. And okay. then I think the Lions, this makes it interesting with the 32nd pick, Matt Corral slides a little bit with the injury. Ooh. Because he, okay. he tore his ACL, or yeah, I think it was his ACL or MCL um, during that bowl game. So I think he slides a little bit. And I think how fitting would it be for the Lions to take that Matt Stafford draft pick and draft a quarterback with it? That'd be interesting. Um, I think that. I think I have three other quarterbacks going before him, Pickett, 
Ritter and why Malik Williams, right? Malik Willis. Malik Willis. Um, yeah, yeah. I have them all going before him. I think Corral before the injury in that bowl game, I think probably would have maybe been top two, but um, just with the uncertainty there, I think the Lions take a risk on him because it's still Goff's team this year. Um, yeah. Not that Goff's the best guy to learn under, but hey, I mean, you got to start somewhere. Exactly. So That's what I got. I mean, I think the Eagles. I don't know if they'll keep all three picks, but if they do, I think they'll use one of those middle round or middle ones on Jordan Davis. And I think Jamison Williams before his injury as well, probably could have been a top 12 pick, probably even top 10. Um, And those mocks I saw, it probably wouldn't have been Drake London off the board. It probably would have been Jamison Williams, but again, kind of that uncertainty. I think the chargers have time to, to let him, you know, recover and come back as Keenan Keenan Allen's a free agent, right? No, 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 Mike Williams. Mike Williams is. So. I think has one more year on his deal. Okay. So I don't think it would be bad for the Chargers to bring in another young receiver, give Herbert no. as many weapons as possible. I think Eckler's going to have another good year. Justin Jackson towards the end of the year kind of really became a, a solid RB2 option. So I think you're going to see mm-hmm. more of him this year and just the more weapons that the Chargers team can have. They're going to need it because they need yeah. something else to get. They, they need to get in the playoffs this year, I feel like. I agree. They have to, um, yeah. especially with how last season ended, like right down to the last second. Yeah, especially too when they could have, they could have really won the division if they could have just held on to that lead against the Chiefs on that Thursday, Thursday night game right before Christmas. Yeah, didn't happen, exactly. So. Um. Oh, yeah. well. How about you? How about you? I feel like you got, you always have some good surprises. Yeah. I've, I have a couple of trades in the first round. I'm not sure exactly how many trades I have that I did, but I have the commanders trading back to the 17th pick and I have the chargers moving up to number 11 to snag Traylon Burks at okay. number 11. I think Traylon's the best receiver in the draft. Um, I think he's a very good deep threat. I think he could run the route tree when he needs to. Um, a very DK Metcalf like where he has freakish size at 6'3, 220, and he has the speed to match it. Yes, he didn't run a good 40, but again, we know that game speed and 40 speed are two completely separate things. I mean, you yeah. just pull up any tape on him, he's burning DBs, he's taking jet sweeps to the house, he can catch screens, make one or two guys miss, and then go the distance, breaking a couple tackles like he is. He's the perfect prospect that you wanted a receiver. I mean, the fact DK slid to the end of the second round and we saw what he did, I think justifies the Chargers maybe reaching a little bit for Traylon Burks at 11 um, just to get an explosive option opposite Keenan Allen and give um, give Herbert a deep threat that isn't Jalen Guyton. You know, Jalen Guyton is a very good solid slot receiver option to go deep on, but I don't think he's going to be a game-breaking guy like Traylon Burks is and can be. Um, so I have Traylon going at number 11 through a trade. And because of that trade, I think it, a domino effects happens where because the commanders trade back, the Steelers trade up to take the Vikings number 12 pick and they snag Malik Willis, their quarterback of the future. I know everyone says the quarterback class is weak and the quarterback class is good. I personally think that just because they aren't top 10 quarterbacks, people are saying, oh, this class is weak. I, I still think they're serviceable. I like Malik Willis, I think, is a starter in the NFL from day one. He could do really well. He has the speed to get around guys, and he has the arm strength to put one deep. It's a rare talent that you don't really see a lot from college prospects. I think Malik Willis is one of the best QBs in this draft and is going to help turn around the Steelers franchise. I mean, you you pair a dual threat with Najee Harris in the backfield, a deep threat like Chase Claypool, a great slot receiver like Deontay Johnson, great young tight end in Pat Fryermuth. You know, they fix the offensive free agency, the offensive line and free agency. Steelers are right back to the top of the AFC North if they can put the right pieces in place. So 
I have two trades being the two big, two of my bigger surprises with Traylon Burks and Malik Willis. And then I have a surprise pick for the Eagles. Um, this guy uh, had a pretty significant injury right before the season started. I have the Eagles at 19 taking George Pickens. I think okay. from I think from a skill set and a toolbox type, he could be the best receiver in this draft. I mean, he's 6'3", 200 pounds. He can move faster than most guys on the field. He could run through guys. I mean, you saw it in the semifinal game. He absolutely pancaked. He looked at the sideline, hushed the sideline, and then pancaked the corner right in front of him and shushed him again. Like, he has the strength to block, and he has the speed to go downfield and burn anyone and run the route tree. And if you put him opposite Devontae Smith, like, who are you going to guard? Who are you going to focus on? Devontae Smith was a very underrated receiver this year for what he did with Jalen Hurts. I think Jalen Hurts is underrated himself um, if we're having an honest conversation. But that offense is dangerous. I mean, yes, I know they played a lot of weak teams and they didn't have any wins against a playoff team in the regular season. But the Eagles are still a young and talented building team around Nick Sirianni, who is a good head coach in the league. Um I, I think skill set wise, this is the closest thing we've seen since Julio Jones back in 2011 um, for what George Pickens is going to bring to the table, regardless of his injury. I think if he doesn't get hurt, he's a clear cut number one wide receiver in this draft. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. I think the Eagles got to be careful with receivers. I think uh, they've been burnt in the first one. I think Devontae Smith has been fine, but I mean, obviously, um, yeah. They haven't had the, the best success. Same with the Patriots. That's why I, th- I think the Patriots are going defense. I think I had them taking Lloyd. Uh, why am I blanking on his name? Lloyd. Last Devin name. Lloyd? Yeah. Interesting. Um, I think they go linebacker. I think Hightower is leaning towards retirement, but. Um, I, I got to give you shit. You really think Kendrick Bourne's a wide receiver one? No. Oh, were you just saying that as a joke in the chat? Yeah. Well, the thing, the thing is, I think, I think he is going to be a solid player. Like, I think he is going to progress this year, like a lot, because him and Mac do get along very well. Okay. I think a lot of his ability depends on Mac's um, progression. I think if Mac progresses, I like if they didn't go out and sign, like, like say the Patriots don't get Calvin Ridley, Devontae Adams, like any of those guys, say they have the same kind of receiving core. It sounds like Nelson Aguilar is not coming back, but just say they, they kind of like say Myers and Bourne are their one A one B because that's basically what it was this year. I think Kendrick Bourne, if Matt progresses, could be a thousand yard receiver this year. Okay, he was I close agree. enough last year. I think he could even be close to twelve hundred. Um, yes. I mean, imagine Kendrick Bourne on the Chiefs. Imagine Kendrick Bourne on the Packers. Like just some of these other teams. I think he's a good. He's he's never had a great quarterback. I mean, look at the Forty Niners. Like even when he was the number one receiver, didn't do much. You know, like. That, that was, was he what, the number one though? Like they he he they went to I mean George Kittle obviously was the number one target, but when we're talking about wide receiver room, he was the best receiver in that room back in 2017, 2018. Um obviously now since then they've gotten Debo, they got in Brandon Ayuk, and that receiver room is much different. Um now you have Juwan Jennings most likely stepping in the place of Muhammad Sanu and Richie James. But if you go back to when Jimmy G first got there, outside of Kittle, Bourne was the guy that they went to, and he wasn't putting up anywhere close to the numbers that he's putting up here with the Pats. So I think if the receiving room stays the same, Kendrick Bourne's the wide receiver one, but I think they have to go pick someone up, either in free agency or the draft. Yeah, no, I don't hate them picking someone up. I'm a little skeptical of the Patriots drafting receivers because clearly it didn't work with Nikhil Harry. Um, and I shouldn't say – I should say first-round receivers. If they, you know, wait a few rounds, get get someone else – I'm okay with that, but 
Um, yeah, no, Calvin Ridley, I'd 100% take. Devontae Adams, I don't know. I, I feel like normally a team would want to franchise him, but, like, it's the Packers, and there's just – who the hell knows? We, we already went on our Rodgers train. I have no idea yeah. what's going on there. But um, OBJ, wouldn't hate him in a Patriots uniform. Uh, yeah. A lot, of, a, lot of, a lot of guys I'd like to see in New England, but we'll see what Bill does. I think he, I think he built the team up good last year. Um, so we'll see. Like I said, Aguilar's out. I don't think Nikhil Harry is going to make any progression whatsoever. So you gotta, you gotta, you gotta find something. You gotta, you gotta give somewhere. I think John has got to come back because a lot of his contracts guaranteed. Hunter Henry, his contract wasn't guaranteed. They could release him, and it wouldn't be a huge cap hit. But I don't think they should because I think no. he's obviously clearly the better of the two. Um, one of Max more reliable options, especially in the red. He was their red zone option. So. Mm-hmm. We'll see what happens, but naturally we'll see. Is there any player before we close out for the night that you think is either overrated and is going to fall in the draft, or you think is a good option. Who's going to sneak into the later parts of the draft where um, you can go either way you want. Who do you think is overrated? And who do you think is underrated? Overrated. Uh, I don't know. I mean, like, I think we do build or like put a lot of emphasis on the combine when we really shouldn't, because you've said it like three times already, like the 40 yard and game speed isn't normal. So, or like the Mm same. Um, So I think was it Olave. He had a huge Olave. Yeah. I mean, he's great. I don't want to say he's overrated, but I think his, um, his 40 times going to put him in, I have him going pretty high. No, actually I don't have him going that high, but I think he's, I think he's going to go, I think he's going to go higher than he should. And then I have Desmond Ritter actually going a little bit lower. I have him going to the Steelers. Um, I have Willis and um, Pickett going ahead of him. So I think he might fall a little bit, but I think he's underrated and will, will slip a little bit. Yeah. I'll, I'll agree with you on the Alave point. I honestly have him at number 28 on my entire big board. I think Garrett Wilson's better. Obviously I've already talked about George Pickens and um, uh, Traylon Burks. Um, I think those, those, three are better than him um even jameson williams i think is going to be a better receiver regardless of his injury i just think olave is a very good deep threat but other than that i haven't really seen what he's been able to do on short routes on medium routes um his big plays always come on deep balls and it's very rare that a guy who beats guys consistently deep in college can beat them consistently in the nfl i mean jamar chase is probably the only guy we've seen recently who can beat guys deep in college and in the NFL. I mean, Justin Jefferson wasn't even a deep threat in college. He was a possession no. guy who's now turned into a do-it-all wide receiver for the Vikings. I mean, it's very rare but with what I just said, guys who can win deep in the college can win deep in the NFL. So I am falling a little bit. Um, so I think he's one of the overrated guys. And then underrated, I'm going to go David Ajabo. I actually have him. Most big boards have him in like 20 to 30 range. I have him at number nine. I actually think he's one of the best pass rushers in this draft. He reminds me a lot of Chandler Jones in terms of strip sack count, um, the array of different moves he uses. He can bull rush you. He can dip around past you. And his best move, I talked about that Euro step earlier, that inside jab and then work back outside. Like he is, that's his best move in and of itself. And then even against the run, I I just think he's, he's, he's a more athletic Aiden Hutchinson who doesn't have the skill set of Aiden Hutchinson, but I still think he's one of the best edge players in this draft. And I think just because of how much other talents getting hyped up, he's going to fall to the twenties of the draft, but I think he's a top 10 guy. Yeah. 
No, hey, I think uh, I think that's that's good to good to note. Like I said, a lot's going to probably change with free agency and who the heck knows trades, all that. But it should be a good draft. Probably won't be as like I said, not going to be as flashy as last year with all the mm-hmm. the QBs and the wide receivers that are getting taken early on. But um, like you said, these guys are serviceable, and who knows, could be some of the better players. Um, and especially with so many early round draft picks or teams with so many first round draft picks, if they don't end up trading those, you know, these teams are going to develop these guys and try to build dynasties around them. Hopefully exactly for themselves. But so, I don't, the Jaguars will never, and the lions will never have a dynasty. So, no. um, yeah. yeah, I think there's some solid gems in the draft for sure, but I don't know if there's going to be like the amount of top talent, like previous drafts that we've seen where we know guys coming out of college are going to light it up right away. But there are guys in this draft who are going to fall, who are actually going to be a lot better than what they're picking rounds says. Yeah, I so. see that. So, cool. You got any light hits? I got one trivia question. Uh, Ooh, I didn't even think to do touch. trivia. You definitely have um, to touch on this trivia question. Okay. I'll let you do the only trivia for tonight. But as far as late hits are concerned, I'm looking at my Twitter because my Twitter feed's been going crazy. Um. The first full there's an official sophomore oh, you are lagging out, my guy. Say oh, that again. Can you hear me now? Yep, say it again. Okay. So Baylor, they had three players run a sub 4-4 at the 40-yard dash at this combine. It's the first time since 03 that three players from one college ran a sub 4-4. So that was cool to see. Um, I talked about Jordan Davis while you stepped away a little bit. Yep. But um, I want to talk about Sauce Gardner, Mod Gardner out of Cincinnati. Um, on over a thousand pass coverage snaps in his college career, did not allow a single touchdown. Um, I think that's going to shoot his dra- draft stock way up, especially how he performed at the combine. Um, I'm just super interested to see how he develops because I think he needs to be the best quarter in this draft, or he's going to end up being a CB2 for his entire NFL career. So it's it's far in between, um, but he, he's just, he has the size and the talent to be a very good corner. It's just, how is he going to transition to the NFL? Um, so I think he's super interesting. Definitely watch some highlights on him. He's a freak and he's just super long. So that's all I got though. Nice. Uh, one late hit I have, if you don't already follow me on Instagram, follow me at jbrad96 yes. for snack madness. Uh, we are on day five and the people are buzzing. We have over a total, I think, of 1,800 votes in oh four days. Um, so what I've done is I've made a 64 snack bracket in different uh, four different regions. We got our sweet snacks, our savory snacks, our candy, and then we haven't even gotten to appetizers yet. So we're still early. Uh, we're midway through the round of 64. So if you want to join in on the fun, follow me. It's at J B R A D J Brad 96, no spaces, no underscores, nothing like that. Um, people are loving it right now. So it's been, it's been fun. Uh, Jordan, you got any sleepers in that, in that tournament? Any sleepers? In I mean, you don't know what the appetizers are yet. I'm not releasing what everything is till it's all out, but, uh, we had our first upset the other day. Cheetos. People thought as a 12 seed was a little bit low, but, um, yeah, but I, it's tough. It was tough. Um, Mitch obviously was on the podcast once seeding. Everything has been tough. So I have Reese's at four. I know that's a little bit low, but it's, you know, you got to accommodate those people that don't eat chocolate. Cause you got to put Skittles at one. Cause like not everyone eats chocolate. Um, yeah. So I, it, I think sour patch and Hershey bar was a very, 
very good matchup. Yeah. Going into the, I think this and, and today today we had Swedish fish versus gummy bears too, which I think it's like, all right, what's the superior gummy right off the bat? You just gotta you gotta you gotta choose. You gotta choose. So yeah, I'm trying to remember the exact matchup I found, but I was pissed. I think it was a five seed that lost. I was pissed that it lost. Pringles Cheetos. Um, it was Pringles I Cheetos. Exactly which one it was. I went to bed. Yeah, that was, was, yeah, yeah, yeah. If I went to bed, it was 52-52 in terms of votes. And I woke up and Cheetos had won 58-53. Um, yeah. So they pulled away at the end there. But it's been pretty tight. I think we're getting, the best matchups are going to be like in the round of 32. Because like I'm looking ahead, we got... We got Cheez-Its versus tortilla chips. That's a tough one right there. Only one can go to the Sweet 16. Um, I think like Rice Krispie Treat versus Chips Ahoy, I think that's going to be a tough one. I predict Chips Ahoy will come out on top, but obviously I cannot skew the votes as I am as I am the vote collector in Snack Madness. So. Yeah. Who, who do you think is winning the entire thing? Uh, well, see, the thing is, I think, I think our appetizers are very strong. So I think whoever comes out of there – um of the snacks that have already participated and played i think tortilla chips and reese's are both sleepers um i think neither are one seat, but they i think personally if i if i was in charge of the, the rankings and the and the seating myself they both would have been one seeds and they're not um goldfish obviously killed it as well too so that might give tortilla chips a run for its money as well but they got to get past doritos they still got to get past i believe uh, cheetos as well which cinderella right now so we'll see um, I, I think Reese is going to take it all the way. What'd you say? I, I think Reese's is going to take it all the way. I, I think I think I may have underestimated them at a four seed, but we'll see. Uh, they're, they're killing it right now. I think they're going to break the record. Uh, they're at like above 90% of the vote. So we'll see what happens there. Wow. Um, my trivia question, though, we can't not talk about it. Coach K had his final game. Uh, at Cameron Indoor Stadium yesterday. Fuck Duke, obviously. Um, and I think it was it was kind of funny that that UNC won. But I mean, Duke Duke won the ACC outright in the conference. They're probably going to end up winning that conference tournament because the ACC is weak this year. Big win for North Carolina too. Um, that'll probably get them into the NCAA tournament. Um, but Mike Shusevsky, obviously number one all time in NCAA Division One wins. Who's number two? I'll give you four options. We got Jim Beheim. Roy Williams, Bobby Knight, or Dean Smith? Bobby Knight. Bob Knight is fifth. Jim Beheim yeah. is second. Uh, Jim Calhoun's actually mm. third, which I always found a little bit surprising. Um, but he coached Northeastern for very for a long period of time. Uh, Roy Williams is fourth. Dean Smith yeah. is seventh. So, interesting. Yep. Very interesting. Well, Jordan looks like his internet's lagging out. So uh, I, think, yeah. I think it's a good time to end this. And uh, I got to go, I got to go herd some more cattle, uh, you know, while I'm home. So. Awesome. Love to hear it, buddy. Cool. Well, thank you all for listening. I know you'll all be surprised to see this on a Monday, but uh, enjoy it. Definitely make sure tune in Bryant basketball ESPN two, Bryant Wagner uh, Tuesday night, March 8th at 7 p.m. again on ESPN2 for a chance to dance. See y'all later.